Hey everyone, and welcome to the Darkcast. I'm your host, Jonathan, and this is Darkcast interview number 138. In this episode, I'm talking to Matt Boudreau of Cradle Games to talk about the studio's first game, Hellpoint. Hellpoint is a action RPG set in a dark sci-fi universe with roguelike elements. Uh, there's also real-time black hole traversal, as well as a bunch of other stuff that sounds super interesting, and we will get into that in the interview. If you want to find out more information about the game, then head on over to darkstation.com, where you can find the show notes for this episode, as well as all of our previous interviews. Now, thank you so much for listening, and on with the show. jump into this interview. Well, Matt, thank you so much for joining us on the Darkcast today. How are you doing? Thanks to you. I'm very fine myself and yourself. Uh, I, I'm doing great. I, I'm glad to be kind of back in the saddle. Uh, we took a little bit of a hiatus uh, this past fall from some interviews, so okay. I am super pumped to be back sitting in front of my computer talking to people at other places on the earth about one of my favorite topics ever, video games uh, especially new video games so yeah. that is what we are here to do today um mm -hmm. so we are here to talk about your newly announced game uh hellpoint but before yeah. we get into what that game is about because i've got lots of questions that game sounds nuts uh mm -hmm. let's talk a little bit about who you are who who are you matt who am I? Well, what a philosophical question. <laughs> well, um, as I said, I'm from the North Shore of Quebec. So, uh, and uh, at 20 years old, I went to, uh, now I'm in Quebec City. So that's the capital. So I've studied it in uh, animation treaties and for many years. And then I went to uh, into the industry, starting at Ubisoft. Uh, worked on Prince of Persia and, and Rainbow Six. So when you mentioned Ghost Recon... A moment I give that ring a bell, the wet storm team and all that. Um, yeah, and then I moved on to uh, Activision B now. It's worked on Spider Man. Uh, which which Spider Man? That's the. <laughs> uh, I guess you always say reboot. That wouldn't mean a lot, but <laughs> the one that came with the the, the new movie was with the. Not Tobey Maguire, but the actor. okay, yeah, yeah, the uh, the amazing Spider-Man one. Yeah, actually, I I picked that up actually this I think this past summer, and mm -hmm. got into that, and I was actually pretty surprised uh, at how much I enjoyed it. It's uh, oh, good. You, you never expect movie tie-ins to be any good, but yeah, it's always a pleasure and surprise <laughs> one. <laughs> They're actually decent, right? Yeah, absolutely. I also worked on the Edge of Time, which is a little less known, but uh, okay, yeah, it was a blast. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it went fast from there. I mean, I've been working on a few mobile games uh, for, for Disney and Hasbro and so on. And then in uh, 2015, I just launched my own studio. Uh, once my team of warriors were ready, uh, we had the plan, we had the vision, and we looked upon the horizon and said, now is the time. <laughs> so uh, we've launched Cradle Games in uh, April 2015, been working on the game for a long time before that and uh, in November last November was the first anniversary that we've been working on, on in the company full time nice yeah, been a blast ever since 
Very cool. Very cool. Now, uh, on your website, uh, you mentioned that Cradle Games is kind of made up of a bunch of uh, industry vets, uh, and you've kind of detailed some of the stuff you've worked on. What are some of the other games that uh, people from your studio have been a part of? Oh, man. It's all over the place. Really. Uh, my girlfriend's been in the industry for like 19 years. Uh, started Ubisoft Montreal, so uh, we're talking about old school GBA games like Ninja Turtles and... Mm. Prince of Persia, and, and so so that was a blast for her. So she specialized in 2D animation. Now she's been switching to 3D, uh, working on uh, Skylanders, uh, Be Nuts. And uh, after that, uh, you know, Marc-André Jutra, which is our technical director, uh, he's been technical director for a long time uh, on Assassin's Creed at Ubisoft Quebec, like uh, Assassin's Creed 3 and um, yeah, a few other things. And uh, we got uh, Jean-Michel, which is our character artist. He's been working a lot on Call of Duty uh, and also Spider-Man, though, so that's where I met him. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Now, are, are all of you uh, based in Quebec City, or...? Yeah. Okay. Very cool. But we come from various places. <laughs> Nobody comes from here. <laughs> which is quite typical in Quebec City, actually. Sure, sure. Um, now, uh, also on the website, uh, you sign everything as uh, Gropwell. What what is Gropwell? <laughs> um, how would that translate? <laughs> Something like fat fur. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, big hair, or I don't know what to say. It. But it, it comes from a long legendary story of <laughs> of the confederation of the Puel. Uh, that we created back in Ubisoft. So you got Lil Puel and Big Puel and Old Puel and Red Puel and No Puel and Frank Puel. And <laughs> so it's, a, it's a large brotherhood. That, Frank Puel? <laughs> it comes from friends. Uh, oh, sure, okay. I'm, I'm thinking like Frank with a K, like just some guy named Frank Frank Puel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, from the, from the uh, French. <laughs> and so you had to have you know, long hair, usually, and love metal and be a gamer, and it's pretty much... Oh, and drink a lot. Okay, sure. So that was the basic addition, so it was easy to pass. <laughs> Very it's nice. been sticking with me ever since. Okay, awesome. Awesome. Now, um, what, what is your uh, kind of training in as, as far as uh, working with video games? What, what all do you actually do? Uh, well, we've been in the studio, so we all wear multiple hats, but uh, sure. usually I take care of uh, production and uh, design, level design, game design, a bit of marketing as well. Uh, yeah, pretty much the spokesperson for the company, traveling a bit everywhere, as we all we have to do. And so Marc-André, which is my the, the co-founder of the company, which I've been working with for nearly a decade now, uh, so he's programmer, technical director, uh, technical artist as well, and uh, accountant. <laughs> I guess it's numbers. Huh? Sure. Uh, so Sandy, which is the third associate in the in the company, she's a senior animator, so she's our main actress for the game. And she's pretty specialized <laughs> in what she does. Uh, she also takes care uh, of a few two D stuff, like she made stuff for our uh, our website and so on. Okay. And she's made cool little portraits that you'll see in our Kickstarter campaign. Uh, so next, Jean-Michel is taking care of the character. So he's been doing this also for a decade. And, uh, he's having quite a blast now just being able to let his imagination set free. 
Uh, other than that, we have we just recently uh, got our hand on a, you know, the best if special effects artist. Uh, so that's very hard to come by. So we're we're very happy for that. Awesome. And we have two character artists and one environment artist as well. So okay, that's makes seven. So it sounds um, sounds pretty art heavy uh, in terms of like the the breakup of the team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess uh, you can say Macanlee is pretty much a one man army. Usually, you have more programmer than that, but this, sure. this guy, I mean, he's he's really something. Uh, but yeah, we we tend to expand eventually, of course. But for what we needed to do now, it's pretty much a reflection of the type of scope that we have for our game. Okay. But externally as well, I mean, we're working with uh, Mikolai Holoko, we, which uh, takes care of our music. He's uh, a guy from Poland. So uh, if you if you heard the trailer, it's it's very deep and tormented stuff. And mm-hmm. <laughs> we love him for that. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's pretty awesome. much around it. Yeah. Very cool. Well, let's let's jump into uh, the game and uh, let's start off with just kind of what. What is uh, Hellpoint? What is kind of the overview of, of this game? Mm. It's kind of the juncture of two vision. Uh, at the core, we have a third-person action RPG. Uh, very intense, brutal fighting action. And uh, it takes place on a, an abandoned space colony, which is orbiting around a black hole. And you got that you know, big, grim space station uh, Borrowing for brutalist architecture, so you know that kind of old Soviet era type of building uh, the structure, which mixes very well with with sci-fi. And so you wake up out of a 3D printer for living beings. I can say that. I mean, see, if you want to travel in space faster than light, you need to dissociate from your, you know body, because okay. the body can travel at that speed, so they have 3D printers to print you back into an organic form. Okay, so, okay, that, that makes sense, it's kind of a different take on, um, you know, like, I guess, beaming around in um, Star Trek, mm-hmm. um, I guess you could say. So, is it, would it be your consciousness that, like, goes into that 3D printed body, or? It's that... separated from it, so you kind of have the envelope, and then you need to put the content in. Okay. So you'll find a bunch of you know mysterious black cubes a bit everywhere, and you eventually you know that it's the soul of somebody. Mm. So you want to put it back into the the slot when you can put it back and hear what it has to say. So you, okay. you kind of need to solidify yourself into something that can travel faster than light. So your body gets. Hand soloed, <laughs> kind of frozen, and then your body, uh, your soul is separated from that. So. Okay. It's a big theme in our game. Uh, you know what? What does it take to create a soul? Hmm. And is there a difference between soul and uh, artificial intelligence? Hmm. Okay. Very cool. I hope I'm not spoiling too much. Man. I think. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I took some notes. I don't talk about this in this. Case. All right. Just to be sure. Well, I mean, you're your company's PR person, so you can say whatever you tell yourself you can. Um, that's... Yeah, that's the trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's stopping me. Right. <laughs> um... And so yeah, it's a it's a pretty confusing situation at first. If you know you've been 
printed in 3D and dropped into that mysterious station, which is dark and creepy and wet. And you start hearing like mysterious voices speaking to you, which is in fact your creator, which is the AI of the station. And then everything from that point, uh, you make the story. So your choices, what you decide to explore, and a decision you decide to take, and a reaction to NPCs, and if you obey orders or not. It's all implicit, but uh, the story of the character is the choices that you make, basically. Okay. Yeah, that was um, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about. On Again, on the website, uh, you kind of have a bunch of bullet points about what... Um, you know, what it what Hellpoint is, and one of them is that the the path that you take uh, determines uh, which enemies take control of parts of the station and which gods will accept uh, to challenge you. Mm-hmm. So how like what can you unpack that a little bit? Is that just like physical path through the the, the station? Is that um, choices that you're making? Is it both? And what? How, how do different enemies taking over different parts of the station affect you know, yeah. playing the game? Yeah, well, uh, uh, the first, uh, we know we wanted to make a, an open level design type of game and a structure. So we think it's important to you know face some place that you're not ready to face yet and get your ass kicked and then come back mm-hmm. later. Sure. So for RPG, it's very important for us. So, But depending on your skill level, you, know, you can tackle any uh, level of the station, any of the first act level of the station. So. And depending on what area you decide to to vanquish, it will leave a spot for uh, the enemy to take over in the next area. So that's kind of... Ever since I've played games that involve, like, territory wars or gang wars of some of some sort, you know, I've been thinking about that type of structure. So, uh, let's say there's three places that you can start your game at. Well, if you decide to, to defeat the boss in places A, then the place after that will have different in uh, populating them because you've created an opportunity for them, basically. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So if, if you take out the head honcho of group A, then group B is going to take advantage of the vacuum you've created. Exactly. Okay, gotcha. So it's all in the... Uh, the desire to you know put a lot of value into uh, new game pluses and replay. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about the uh, the gods in this game? What what can you talk about those and um, how they will challenge you or you challenge them or how, how, how does all that work? Mm. Well, they they rarely speak to me, uh, but when they do, <laughs> I have to note a bunch of things down. So uh, we have a bunch of enemies, family, if you will. So they serve uh, one of the cosmic gods, and so, and they themselves own power over dominions. So they affect dominions in different way depending on who's controlling them. Um, and so, they accept to challenge you, but they're gods. So at some point, uh, you barely can defeat a god. They only accept, concede that you know, this is the path of the destiny that, that belongs to you. So we have. Uh, you know, gods for the Archon, the Dark Entities, which are... Oh, man, I'm diving to spoil your territory. <laughs> <laughs> but they're very inspired by it. Uh, you know, some religious theme, some Lovecraftian theme. Okay. Um, Demon theme and Dark Entities. and So we, we try to stay... Uh, you know, try something else and just go with you know, basic zombies and basic demons. And that's what appeared at first, but once you start to dig deeper, it's not... 
hell is just a human interpretation of the dark side. Hmm. Okay. Is that clear at all? Or <laughs> I, I think so, maybe. Or it might just be confusing and intriguing and make people want to learn more. You never know. Well, uh, I hope so. <laughs> Um, now, also, you call the game uh, dark sci-fi. So, what what differentiates dark sci-fi from other sci-fi, mm. or at least I, for for this game, anyway? It's the inclusion of horror into the team, and the, the fact that there, it's kind of based on a catastrophe, and, uh, and there's a lot of violence as well in, into that. So, it's a little less. Um, you know, light and lasers and and plasma okay. and so on. It's much more metal and brick and uh, maybe closer a little bit to better Star Galactic than than Star Trek and so on. Okay. So we're really trying to push that that horror aspect inside the sci-fi games. So something that we you know we don't think we see enough. So sure. Want <laughs> them to propose our version of it. Um, I feel like the obvious kind of examples of that in games would be something like either System Shock or uh, Dead Space. Would that be a fair kind of comparison in terms of, I guess, tone? Uh, yes and no. I would say maybe closer to a game like Doom. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, there is technology for sure, but there is a lot of occultism and, mm. and ceremonial aspect. and. Okay some religious themes as well and injected here and there. So with that, it makes a cool contrast of having a very high-tech and high-advanced civilization, but still retaining kind of their spiritual part. Because uh, maybe without that, that's the only way we can progress beyond classic sci-fi and human sure. technology advanced. So you got to connect back to your spirit and your roots. <laughs> okay, so it, it takes kind of a much more um, spiritual approach to thing, not just scienceifying everything that you know these aren't actually demons they're you know zombies or whatever that are created by a virus the you know no they're actually just demons right yeah okay cool yeah i thought it allowed us to explore some more interesting themes instead of saying you know first level or just saying you know there's an evil corporation or there's hell now this time around we can ask some very metaphysical questions about you know what makes a soul and how can you truly be free and detach yourself from either demons or dark thoughts? Or it's deep stuff. You know, we don't showcase that uh, forefront, but it's kind of the underlying theme that such a theme allows us to explore. With something we cannot necessarily do in this more straightforward sci-fi game. Let's say. Okay, that makes sense. Mm. Um, you mentioned uh, that the the ship is orbiting around a black hole. How? How does that affect the game in more than just, you know, creating a, a setting for it? Mm -hmm. Well, yes, that's one of the very first things we've tackled because, you know, we really believe in that in having a persistent, dynamic, revolutioning world, the real sense of revolution. So it's orbiting around the black hole uh, in real time. It's a 21 hours orbit. So you, you see the black hole passing through the sky. Uh, and the... Uh, the space station itself passes through some of the phenomenon that the black hole creates, like an, an accretion disk, for example, which is massive plasma disk that spins around the black hole. And the station is built to pass through that and collect energy at intervals of uh, 10, uh, 10 hours and a half. So. so you can come at some point to expect some event to happen at determined time. 
and another uh, layer of events that happens uh, depending on what you do actually as a player. So this is allows us to have uh, some kind of clock that we can base dynamic event on, and so that whole dynamic forest but was very rich to, to start creating some gameplay that we haven't seen before. Okay. Um, now you said that it's happening in real time. Is that real? Uh, game time, so do I need to play for ten and a half hours before I pass through the accretion disc? Or is it, like, once, if I started playing, I played for half an hour, and then I left it alone for ten hours and came back at that point, would the ship then be passing through the accretion disc? Well, you have two options. We have to support two options, which is you can share uh, the server time. So that's, you know, the time that is shared by our players. And we have to support offline play as well, so you can have your own clock uh, for your specific game. Okay, but I, I don't need to actually play the game for 21 hours just to make one trip around the black hole. Well, there's not, um, there's no event that are really based on such a long okay. stretch of time. Okay, they happen that's... more, much more frequently. It's, it's closer to a, a, some kind of system like Guild Wars 2. The, their time of dynamic event that they have, you know, so you can plan yourself with some friends uh, and plan some raid at different areas of the station. So okay. part of the event happens based on the clock, and the other layers are based on another factor. Okay. Uh, what made you choose twenty-one hours and not twenty or twenty-four or mm. something else? What? It's a precise balance. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because that way. All around the globe, they can have the event uh, ha- happening at different time every day. Okay. So um, with that, uh, with that number, I have a, a clock reset every week as well, so it it's always stay balanced. Mm. And so the way I distributed my event per day, you know, twenty one happened to be the perfect number. <laughs> okay, that yeah. makes sense. So that, you know, if you happen to fall on a timeline where this would be happening in the middle of the night for you and you can't do that, you just wait a day or two and then it's the perfect time. Yep, that's it. That's cool. Mm. Very cool. It's wild. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, yeah, it's something that we want to try to to prove a long-standing design philosophy that we had uh, among ourselves, that persistent dynamic world. Because... Every the best experiences that we had were spontaneous and, and not scripted. Uh, so we kind of raising the ante on that one and bringing this to a, a whole new level. So you embarked into a world. The world doesn't spin around you; you spin around the world. So nice. Underneath it all, that that's the, the basic philosophy, and that's something that only video games can do. Absolutely. So the game haven't has the the chance to breathe fully. They always close into that very Hollywoodian you know, sure. scripted event cinematic pattern. So, maybe we yeah. want to break that. I, uh, given what I, I, I do, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts uh, about video games, and one that I've recently gotten onto is um, one called Script Lock, uh, where they talk to people who, uh, you know, writers for, for video games, and they were actually the one I was just listening to. Um, which I, I was going back to the beginning of the podcast, and um, they were talking about creating this kind of natural balance of scripted events and systems, so that um, you know you're not just experiencing the same content every time, but that you're not also just experiencing kind of 
random content either, but it's kind of this randomized content that feels custom made. Mm-hmm. Um, and just that they, you know, the the game industry as a whole is moving in a whole bunch of different directions, uh, but they see that as kind of this uh, point where a lot of things are kind of headed towards where, you know, if you think, you know, there's all these giant games and every game after it always tries to be bigger than the last one. So mm-hmm. at some point, like, GTA 27 <laughs> is just going to be too big for anybody to make. Like, yeah. that just they can't, or it's going to take forever. Like, it's never actually going to come out because it's going to take too long. Um, so you kind of have to create this balance. And that that sounds, like, really cool, creating a um, an internal clock that's kind of constantly creating these systematic events that you can go in and, and experience stuff that it, I, I assume can, can it affect um, like if you did a, a story mission are there traditional story missions or how, how does that kind of work with the game? Do you have a, a, a linear or I don't want to say linear path but do you have like a, a main line or a main quest for the game? Yeah, yeah uh... You know, there's problems within the station, and there's some ways to solve them, depending on how much you understand what's going on. <laughs> mm-hmm. So there's various level layer of what you can understand. So eventually, if you accomplish precise interventions within the station and uh, interact with NPCs in a certain way and accept to help them or utilize them to your own means, uh, it will affect the station in a different way and open one of the various uh, endings available near the end. So. Okay. So once again, um, coming back to that you know, replay value mentality. Sure. Uh, but I, I guess what the, the reason that I asked that was um, if, if you play it during kind of the events that the black hole creates uh, based on its system, does that affect how the you know, more scripted events of the mainline story oh, play no. out? No, okay. we, we cannot base any main walkthrough things on okay. Such a volatile system. Sure, that's what I was. I was gonna be yeah. like, "Oh my god, this is like you've created the future." Um, <laughs> that's, uh, but I mean, it still sounds really awesome. But uh, I think my my brain got a little ahead of myself there. Uh, well, you know, we still got a lot to to experiment with, sure. with that system. But you know, we have to strike the right balance between what's frustrating and what's engaging. So. Right, and it, you have to actually be able to make it. Like I said, if if it's too big, it, you're just gonna work on it forever and you know you want people to actually play your game eventually I assume yeah. and you, you gotta recall we're all old and yeah. <laughs> we don't want to you know be stuck at some point or have to wait too much for stuff or so we'll make sure that you know somebody who has a family and a full time job can you know, have as much fun in the game as a hardcore player absolutely mm. absolutely now the uh, the game includes a quantic system and uh, quantic fast travel points. Can you can you talk about what that is? Yeah, the quantic system is the name that we gave to the overarching structure of many multiple systems, including the the black hole orbit as well. So uh, since with the, the the theme of parallel universe is very strong within our game, that allows us to try a bunch of different things. But you know, it's parallel universe, so uh, it. Borrows a little bit from the roguelike structure, but with handcrafted level. But okay. at basic, that was the intention. So, uh, using those types of phenomena, including you know the black hole cycle, the dynamic event that happens within the map, uh, we can also, you know, 
Uh, mess up your mind a little bit with the actual content of a room. So, uh, yeah, I don't think it's a spoiler. I can say when you die, that version of you is done. Eventually, if you come back, you come back as another version of that character, but in a parallel universe. So there's some slight things that I may have changed here and there regarding the layout inside of a particular room, the, the enemy placement, uh, things like that. So sometimes you have to you know, stay keen and, and, and keep aware of because things might not be exactly the same next time you come. Okay, interesting. So we can make you know, various things happen, like secret breaches that happens once those types of conditions are met or a room that only appears under certain condition. Yeah. Condition is a large word, but I think you, you see what I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to accomplish you know, a certain path or a certain series of, of quests and so on. Um, you got mini bus that can spawn at different points and are there for a determined amount of time. So you got to raid that places. There's a small alert that plays and lets you know what type of quantic event happens within the map. So you might have a swarm happening in one of the level. And if you defeat the horde, then the place is clear. But if you don't, you start placing traps around the level, so it makes that place a little more harder to play. Um, you might have golden minions. Uh, so then these one travels a little bit there on the level, and they work way more, and you have to defeat all three in order to, to gain that very special reward. It's deep layered stuff, but if you start to know the game and get into uh, its mindset, then you can reap really interesting rewards. In the gist of it, that's how I would describe the, the quantic system. Yeah. Uh, wh- what about the uh, the quantic fast travel checkpoints? Mm-hmm. Uh, how? What is that? And... Something we want to try because we, we asked ourselves uh, many times, like how we would manage fast travel, and so that it makes sense within the game, and you don't just get lost because all you do is teleport all over the place. So, uh, what we want to try out is having those checkpoints. Uh, you decide which one you want to connect uh, for fast travel. And this is a limited resource. So that plays directly into your strategy of how you're going to tackle the, the whole station, which areas you prefer to play for that particular playthrough and so on. So you have to think strategically about which area you want to connect, uh, if you want to grind or if you want a quick access to dynamic event and so on. So, so your network of... Uh, it's fast travel checkpoint can change from each, uh, for each playthrough. So. Hmm. Yeah. Do do those go away if you die? No. Okay. No, they remain. So I, it, you cannot answer this if it's a spoiler. But is there a reason that those would persist through parallel universes? Yeah, <laughs> they're <Okay>. quantic. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, there's a few things like that that get shared from one reality to the next. Gotcha. Uh, the AI is one of them, and there's a big reason for that. That that I cannot spoil. Them. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. All right. Um, what about the uh, the power crafting system? I mentioned that uh, on the website again. Uh, there's tons of information for anybody that wants more information. Uh, Cradlegames.com. You should check that out. Um, but uh, you get to craft your own powers. How does how does that work? Well, yeah, you can picture um, 
a character editor, you know, a, tip, a typical typical character editor, and you move sliders around to make your nose bigger and so on. Mm-hmm. So that's very cool, but eventually you just put a helmet on and you don't see your face for the rest of the game. <laughs> so we thought of taking that system and applying it to gameplay, actually. So one of the early prototypes that we've done is uh, creating a... a your basic project out, for example, and then exposing the parameters on sliders uh, so you can decide what type of projectile precisely you want to have. And it's pretty unique to your own customization. So you can decide you know, at what speed it's going to travel, how big it is, uh, will it explode at the end, will it rebound on the wall, can you shoot three at a time, will it start spinning, uh, will it start oscillating like a sinusoidal curve or... And so that will really apply an element to it as well. You can apply various elements. Um, and so that was all for the purpose of multiplayer. So once you face somebody in multiplayer, you have no idea what she's going to cast in your face. So that makes a cool, refreshing surprise every time you meet somebody. Mm-hmm. We can think of that system applied to a array of effect or self effect uh, status spells and so on yeah. now will you be um, creating multiple powers for yourself or is uh, kind of one power going to be your, your hallmark like your that's the thing that you're known by is this specific power that you made mm, like if it would be associated to a character build or something uh, well I mean just you were talking about how you know you when you make your character's face at the beginning of the game and then you cover it up. Like, oh. you, you make your, your character's face so that's like that's what you look like in the game, uh, but then you cover it up so you never actually see it again. So is is that power kind of, I guess, your calling card in a way? Or, or do you get to make multiple powers uh, throughout the game so that you can use all different kinds? Yeah, answer B, definitely. Okay. <laughs> yeah, the 4-4. Four, four. For the money we spend on this, uh, we're going to make use of it uh, <laughs> as much as we can. So you find blueprints in the station, basically, um, which are leveled, you know, level 1, 2, 3, uh, and grow more in power and in mana cost. And you got, you know, projectile blueprint, area of effect blueprint, uh, self-spell blueprint, uh, multiplayer spell. And then you find a bunch of modifiers and you have to collect in order to unlock additional options uh, for your spellcrafting. So you will unlock, you know, the speed modifier and the trajectory modifier, explosion modifier, rebound, and so on. Very cool. Mm. Very cool. Now you mentioned, uh, you just mentioned multiplayer. Uh, how, how do you participate in multiplayer? Are you joining up with people? Are you fighting against people? Uh, how is it uh, integrated into the game? Mm-hmm. Now that's also one of the early things that we've done. We wanted to have a couch co-op game, a game that we can play with our friend or in girlfriend mode as well. <laughs> that's something that happens a lot. So uh, right now uh, we have local uh, multiplayer. Okay. We would really like to make online multiplayer, but that requires additional funding, so we'll have to see how it goes. Gotcha. Uh, but we support offline multiplayer. There's co-op, PvE, PvP. And a special spectator mode uh, <laughs> that I've designed for my girlfriend. She <laughs> doesn't want to die or kill anybody, but she still have a, a blast and follow me along and help me. Okay. Uh, does the spectator then somehow interact with the world and help you, or how, how does how does spectator mode work? 
Um, what we're doing now is uh, allowing the second player to control the, the camera around the characters. So instead of just watching, uh, eventually would our our deep desire is to have a Twitch mode with that mode. Mm-hmm. But as I said, we don't support online for the moment being. So, mm-hmm. but uh, instead of just watching the screen of the character, you can actually move the camera around. Uh, and look wherever you want to see. You don't control the first pair camera, of course. You control your own. And from that, uh, you can have a, a bunch of small little mechanics to either create some distractions for the enemies or pinpoint various locations that you want to draw attention to um, or challenge the player a little bit. But, uh, yeah, that's something that remains to be seen. Okay. Now, I just want to make sure that I heard you clearly. Uh, so you're, you have two cameras then. Um, the the person that's actually playing still controls their own camera. You're, yeah. you're not having to work cooperatively where one person controls the person and one person controls <laughs> the camera. Because that sounds like that would that would break a lot of relationships. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a psy ups. <laughs> it's an old game. I played a game that did that way back, uh, and uh, yeah, you had to be drunk to enjoy it. <laughs> Sounds like it. Mm. <laughs> but this, but it, it was designed mainly for online and, and Twitch integration, deep Twitch integration. Uh, so we want to leave that door open, but you know, a lot of things remains to be seen on that aspect. Sure. But for sure, we have you know PvP, PvE co-op and, uh, and and PvP challenges as well. And they all, okay. our goal is to make them all uh, seamlessly integrated to single player. So. Okay. You don't have to go through. They are justified by the game and the game mechanics instead of having to go into a lobby and joining and so on. Gotcha. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Now, you, you mentioned that online is, is kind of being left up, um, kind of in the air right now. Uh, and you guys are, are doing a Kickstarter to get more funding. Uh, it's coming up in February. Mm-hmm. Uh, why are you going the Kickstarter route? Oh, it's for a bunch of different reasons. First of all, it's the validation of the product, I think. So we need to build a, a community and build contact with the players and you know, build awareness for that game as well. So that will validate for a whole bunch of people that this game, you know, there's a demand for it. Uh, and, and people are actually willing to, to pre-order them. So for that, as a business, it's a huge tool then to attract some other investors in, uh, into the equation as well. Um Initially, we intended to to uh, to do a Kickstarter mainly for marketing purposes. A little later, uh, but uh, we need to validate the product uh, um, as it is right now. So, yeah, this part, cool. yeah. Uh, what are what are some of the war? <clears throat> excuse me. What are some of the rewards that you guys are are preparing for that, or at least some of the ones that you're really excited about? Mm. Yeah. It's a bit early. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> uh, if my, my programmer will uh, like me to spoil a bunch of them. But <laughs> we, have, we have many options on the table. Uh, okay. Like, just on the $1 pledge, we're going to put your coin and make a space coin with it and uh, distribute the exact same number of coin within the station. Just for the $1 pledge. Uh, of course, uh, we're going to... We're thinking about option two and name a star inside of the sky dome <laughs> okay. so you have your own sound um, so that's the low level uh, reward but at the top level would like to uh, invite people to our, our launching parties and, and have 
let them enjoy a, a real warrior night uh, with us at the the shop goblin which is the goblin buck which is our headquarter uh, it's pretty much where we go uh, and, and get hammered at every milestone so uh, you can expect like a a pig mishui and lots of meat and lots of mead and we'll sing you dwarf songs all night <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah I hope I'll be able to to make people experience that because it's really cool uh, but I think I'll leave the rest for now uh, that's perfectly fine yeah um, unfortunately, you know, with the reality of Kickstarter, it's it's always a gamble. What what happens uh, if that doesn't work out? Yeah, it's not our only option. We get uh, other partners which are really interested in in investing in the game already. But Kickstarter is a win anyhow because even if you don't exactly reach your goal, you've proven that you've got an audience for it. So that's at least what we want to build. Uh, so in in our in our mind it's a win anyhow. So it's a great tool to make a contact with the community as well. So sure, uh, as a first exercise, I think uh, yeah, it'd be a, it'd be a huge win anyhow. So. But, cool. Yeah, but yeah, I can't really name our <laughs> our investment partners, but uh, yeah, they keep being uh, close yeah. eye on, that, yep. on what we're doing. Very cool. All right. Well, well, that is it for the uh, the main questions that I have. Uh, let's let's venture into the end game now, which uh, means we we're kind of stepping away from hell points and going to just some personal questions. And the first one on the table is um, who is your favorite video game protagonist? Mm. Oh yeah, really? <laughs> <laughs> really, really, really. I'll go with uh, Ness from Earthbound. Okay. Very cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This this dude uh, helped me get through my teenage year, <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah, that that's a game that marked my life the most. That for sure. Awesome. You played now? I have not actually. Uh, I'd oh, like God. to have never played it and discovered it for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> I've only ever heard good things about it, but I, I've I've never played it before. Mm. Um. Uh, now now flipping that on its head, who's your favorite antagonist? Your favorite bad guy? Oh. Ah, ah, ah. oh man, I'm sure I have some, but uh, what can I say? Oh man, that's a tough one. <laughs> well, I cannot choose the same game. <laughs> yeah, no, you can. <laughs> that would be the easy answer. Uh, if you want to. Uh. uh... I don't know, man. I have to come back to you for that. <laughs> what was yours? Mine, um, I I don't think I've ever actually been asked that on here, but uh, it would be Saren from uh, the original Mass Effect. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, that was the first villain that I remember actually kind of sympathizing with and understanding uh, their point of view. Mm-hmm. And being like, you're wrong, I'm still going to kill you. But I understand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'll go with the purple tentacle from the, the tentacle. <laughs> it's definitely up there. Uh, awesome. <laughs> oh, uh, Gladys as well from Portal. Oh, yeah. She, that's a great one. Yeah. 
I like those that are somewhat present and have an evolution to that. Yeah. As a matter of fact, sure. I was reading on that uh, just a minute ago. How to make a great villain. GLaDOS hmm. uh, is, is fantastic. All right, so, so those were the warm-up questions. Uh, now things get much more difficult. Uh, what is a trend uh, in video games today that you would like to see more of, uh, that you think is, is not prevalent enough? Mm. I think it's trusting the player and you know encouraging his intelligence. Or any game that kind of let me, you know, make my mistakes and make my good shot. And yeah, as I said, I, I don't want the, I don't like it when I feel like I'm in the the true man show and you know, everything is set up for me so that I succeed mm-hmm. from the story to the very end. So yeah, I like you know game acknowledging the player more and just. Giving him a great sandbox and great tool to create his own stories and emerging gameplay. I think we kind of see a return to that, that, that systemic gameplay. I think the best example would be uh, the new Hitman compared mm-hmm. to the one before. Sure. So that's something that we, we've touched upon uh, a little earlier as well. Uh, I can definitely see a lot more game, a lot more big publisher heading that way. Already we've heard like Ubisoft saying that we want our game to become anecdote generators. Mm-hmm. So that got my eyes. Oh, okay, they're going that way as well. So I gotta hurry yep. up. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Um, so again, uh, kind of spinning that one on its head. Uh, what is a trope in video games that you wish uh, was either less prevalent or just would go away completely? Yeah, that would be the opposite to that question. Uh, the scripted scenes and cinematic and too much Hollywood's flavor into that and uh, playing it too safe as well and just you know seeing like you're interacting with the marketing company more than actual developer <laughs> I always feel like I'm inside a focus test every time I play a game now it's like wow get out of my house and <laughs> I just want to play alone so, so the, it's getting more and more invasive and it's trying to find more and more tricks to you know, get, get to their end goal but yeah, that's something I wish would go in. I'm glad that I've seen the last of <laughs> the generation before that, like PS2 game and, and GameCube. I think that was the last generation before everything went really crazy. Production went from $10 millions to $100 million. And sure. People start getting old very fast. <laughs> so we want to bring it back. Nice. Alright, uh, if there was a game that you could play again for the first time... Or, no, wait, hold on. Well, no, we'll go ahead and go with that. I've, I've actually I skipped a question, but we'll mm. still go with it. Uh, if there was a game that you could play again for the first time, what would it be? Uh, Chrono Trigger. Okay. Oh, yeah. E- even now, I think I would be blown away. But, uh, yeah, um, I play it again, I'm like, oh, I've already seen that. I'm so sad. <laughs> yeah, that and maybe Fallout 2 as well. Okay. But those are like deep childhood games. I think that's the prerequisite for making that list. Nice. Mm. Oh, Dark Souls as well. Let's go with Dark Souls. Okay. There's a bunch of them. <laughs> I've got like 20 characters in Dark Souls. I'm trying to convince myself that I'll find something new, which often I do. As a fact. Nice. Alright, uh, all right. so if uh, something happened and you were 
given just the limitless opportunity of doing anything else besides make video games, mm. uh, what what type of job or profession would you like to give a shot? I don't know if it's a job or profession, but I'll, I'll be making music. <laughs> mm. uh, definitely. That was the other option for my life, I'm pretty sure. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Um, particular type of music and or instrument? Uh, I'd like to make some progressive death metal Swedish type. <laughs> okay. I'd probably be playing guitar. All right. Very cool. I made a few uh, chiptune songs uh, recently, as a matter of fact. That's the only thing that I can find times to do. So. You can find right. it on my SoundCloud. Oh, cool. I'll share it with you uh, after the interview. Okay. Awesome. And uh, our, our final question now. Uh, when you get to the gates of the Mushroom Kingdom at the end of your life, and Toad is there with the uh, the book of your deeds, what do you want him to say to you before letting you in? I hope he says the princess is in another castle. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's not over yet. There's still things to do. <laughs> yeah. Our it's boring. like, psych, you just leveled up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure, I mean, I'm in, I'm in the sky level, the cloud level. There's always a cloud level. It doesn't right. there. Otherwise, how boring would paradise be? Well, if it's really paradise, it shouldn't be boring, theoretically. You think so? Well, or, if it's boring, so, then it's not actually paradise, right? I guess so. But if you follow... Yeah. Uh, what they say in the big book, I think all the people that I like would end up being in hell, so... <laughs> Maybe I should do a few bad deeds and join up with, you know, Lemmy from Motorhead and... <laughs> all my favorite stars. Alright, well, fantastic, Matt. You did it. You completed the end game, uh, And you didn't even, like, have to pause and I didn't I'm not gonna have to edit any time out uh, yeah. <laughs> because you had to think about them congratulations thanks it's a great great start to the new year oh great um, oh. <laughs> well that that does it for the interview though thank you so much for uh, for sitting down and talking with me about hell points uh, but before we kind of end this if you could tell our listeners where they can go to find out more information about your game yeah, just head over to uh, cradlegames.com C-R-A-D-L-A-E-J-A-M-E-S Oh, my accent is not serving me on that one. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be a link in the show notes. <laughs> All right. Uh, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And I will let you know as soon as there are interesting update concerning Hellpoint. Awesome. Well... Thank you once again, and good luck as you guys head into this season of Kickstarter and as you continue working on the game. I uh, wish you the best of luck. Well, thanks to you, and thanks a lot for the opportunity, and I wish we speak again soon.